the buck stops with you when it comes to your own development, whether you're an individual or with a country. So you have to take charge. I'm Bruce Edwards, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. Maria Kiwanuka has been a World Bank economist, a radio station magnate, and now Uganda's finance minister. But first and foremost, Kiwanuka is a businesswoman, whose pragmatic approach has helped put Uganda's economy back on track. Growth this year is a healthy 5.9% and expected to hit 6.3% in 2015, according to the IMF's latest regional economic outlook. One of Kiwanuka's priorities has been to implement Uganda's development projects more efficiently and to focus on projects she thinks will boost the economies of the region. But finding the right resources and training people is key to the effectiveness of these large-scale projects. It's what's known in industry circles as capacity building. Earlier this month, Kiwanuka joined a discussion on the topic hosted by the IMF and the World Bank. Reporter Jocelyn Frank met with the finance minister afterwards and asked her how important capacity building is for growing economies. You can't capacity build in a vacuum and wake up, oh, it's a good day to build capacity, so let's get five people and train them as economists, or let's get ten people and improve their financial analysis capacity. That's not the way to go. First of all, it is just a means to an end. What is your objective at the end of the day? And we work back to, from that and say, what do I need in the, in the case of money, in the case of equipment, and in the case of human resources? And then you can get to work. When we say building capacity, tell me some of the ways that this investment has impacted Uganda specifically or East African region more broadly. When you're talking about capacity, you need to be specific. So you might say, we need to build up the ability of our tax revenue authority to increase tax collections by 30% at the end of next year. So you need to get people who are trained in um, econometrics. You need to train them in how to evaluate and analyze tax returns. You might like to invest in some electronic capacity to beef up your data storage and the data compilation. And you also might want to invest in some public relations. How do you think that the needs in your country have evolved over time? And what have you seen as a shifting priorities there? Well, the, the needs have changed over the years as we've moved from a state a planning authority from a state-controlled authority where the government had parastatals, which government-owned operators in, 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 in tourism, in industry, in transport, in uh, education, to saying, okay, apart from health and education, let's let the private sector take control or be the main operators in the other areas. And what we'll do is to try to do an enabling framework because recognizing that government does not have any money of its own, all the money you get is either taxes from the taxpayers or foreign borrowings. So you say, okay, let us do what the private sector won't do. Let us make sure we get a predictable macroeconomic environment for the private sector to operate in. But apart from that, our most important development need is to close the infrastructure gap, to put in the roads, to make sure we got the power going to all parts of the country, irrigation for agriculture and ICT. 
And that is what we're, we're, we're concentrating our development resources on. And when our development partners or financiers come to us, we say, okay, fine, thank you for the assistance, but it must go there. Or, or if not, we're not really interested. Part of your career was spent also in the private sector. Can you tell me about the lessons you learned from working there and how you've applied some of those lessons to the work you do now back with the government? Number one, the buck stops with you when it comes to your own development, whether you're an individual or with a country. So you have to take charge. Secondly, you need to work within your means. You know, in the private sector, if you can't afford your rent, no one's going to come in and pay it for you. So that should be the same with the government. So avoid printing money for the sake of it and live within your income. How would you like to see the IMF evolving over time and to respond to the nations that they serve? Well, again, I'll speak from the Ugandan angle. The IMF is already doing a lot of things right compared to 25 years ago. For the future, I think that they need to work closely with the country to identify and agree upon areas where you need capacity building. So if a country says to you, we need capacity building in data management, that should not be a surprise because you should have been working along with them and know that that's going to come up. Then you have to make sure that all the major stakeholders are on board within the Ministry of Finance, the Bank of Uganda, to make sure that their point of contact in the government has taken care of the ownership angle. And then, of course, to use technology and uh, their vast knowledge across the, across the world to in, improve cost effectiveness. Don't invent, reinvent the wheel. If something has worked in Peru or Indonesia or outer Mongolia, bring it to Uganda Put it to Uganda and see if it can help in any way. Maria Kiwanuka, Uganda's finance minister, speaking with Jocelyn Frank. If you like this podcast, you can hear more at www.soundcloud.com slash imfpodcasts. You can also read about this topic and more at blog-imfdirect.imf.org. <laughs>